You're listening to Valley Voices, and my guests today are Laura Bartels, Executive Director of the Mindful Life Program here in Carbondale, and John Bruna, founder of the Way of Compassion Foundation. And there's just so much to say about John. He's co-founder of the Mindful Life Program and Mindfulness in Recovery. He's a senior fellow at Aspire Recovery. He's a teacher. He's an addictions counselor. He uh, was a Buddhist monk for years, and he has been in continuous recovery since 1984. Congratulations. And um, a very active participant in the recovery community. Both of you are very active participants in the community. And so welcome to the show. Thank you, Amy. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's really nice to have both of you here. Yuletide greetings to both of you. Uh, Just to let listeners know, I ran into Laura, not literally, but uh, we ran into each other in the grocery store, you know, a month or so back, and just started talking about what's happening, you know, what we've been doing and blah, blah. And, you know, it inspired me to bring you guys on to the show because so much is happening with um, the recovery community, with the Mindful Life Program, some changes in the um, Way of Compassion Foundation. And just looking at the website recently, I thought, my gosh, the Mindful Life Program has just almost exploded. It's really grown since um, the beginning. I mean, you guys have retreats in the U.S., Canada, Australia, Zoom, um, meetings. Um, You have three books out there. There's The Wisdom of a Meaningful Life. There's Mindfulness and Recovery. There's the Daily Practice Journal. You have website. You have videos. Can you talk about the beginnings of Way of Compassion and the Mindful Life Program and how They've both grown to what they are today. I mean, what's working? It's such a joy to be here with with you, Amy and Laura, and uh, happy holidays to all of you out there. Yeah, quite a journey. I think for me personally, it's been a journey, like you say, going back 37 years ago, of um, you know wanting to know how to be okay. And I think that's kind of the big journey in life is, you know, how do we... Um, how do we live a life where we can look in the mirror, feel good about who we are, and a life of meaning and purpose? And I think so much of the struggle today uh, is around trying to get somewhere in life rather than appreciate who you are in life and recognize that you have some value. And I think our culture is one, especially nowadays, where there's so much distraction. There's so much, you know, uh, taking you away from uh, Mm -hmm. what you're doing. There's so much in the headlines and there's so much um, that we are bringing to our minds. I was actually talking to uh, Laura's son and he was talking about Snapchat and Snapchat and how the only way he could communicate with his friends is on that. They don't really text each other if he wants to know what's going on. And what he noticed is that when he's in there, there's a constant sort of uh, pull to, to uh, you know, flip to the next thing, to the next thing. And he, and he, what he's learning is it, the dopamine rush, the hook to, to be distracted. And in this culture that we're living in is, is one of so much distraction that we're not even comfortable just being okay sitting in a chair, enjoying the breeze on your face, that we're so disconnected that 
I think the origins of our journey is to let people discover, uh, once again, a more natural release of dopamine and feeling okay uh, in the wonder of the breeze on your face, the, the life that you already have, the abundance that is just incredible already. Yeah, Amy, thank you so much for inviting us here. It's really a joy. And, you know, thinking about my origins, um, you know, some people locally know that uh, my background is 20 plus years in the sustainability field, uh, starting uh, even uh, in uh, climate change 30 years ago, Mm -hmm. um, and then sustainable building. So, all those years, the sort of uh, mission or the value that we were pursuing is to create a better world. And what I saw over all those years is the outer mission uh, didn't always match the ability on the inside. So what do you the, mean by that? What I mean is that we were, you know, m- many, many people working to create a more sustainable outer world without having inner sustainability without having developed or focused on developing the skills of inner peace and well-being that allows us to sustain whatever outer work we're doing, whether it's in sustainability or parenting or, um, you know, driving a bus, whatever it is, to be able to have those skills and develop them, we need to turn inward. And so much of our culture and, as John was talking about, distractions take us outward. And so... um, I joke and say I made a little change from outer sustainability to inner sustainability, but really with the mission to bring it back to um, people and and help us develop the inner peace, the inner well-being, uh, so that we can sustain the efforts to create a better world in whatever relationships and whatever roles we play. Well, it seems to me that and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems that creating inner stability might be a little more difficult than creating outer sustainability. John's smiling and nodding his head. Yes, I think, you know, therein lies the the big journey here is, um, you know, what I often will uh, observe is people want to have inner peace, well-being, a sense of uh, joy in their life. Um, but Nobody really wants to create the effort <laughs> to cultivate that. Oh, I know, know a saying that everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, right? Yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah, you know, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody's yeah, in a hurry. Nobody wants to die. Well, <laughs> right, it's sort yeah. of the same thing of everybody wants something, but they're not willing to put in the work to get there. Yeah, let me rephrase that to what I normally come up against, you know, when, when teaching people to meditate and to train their minds to be more present is people say things like, I don't have time. And, and basically, it can translate to, I'm way too busy creating stress, worry, and fear in my life to make time to eliminate it. Good. In other mm-hmm. words, yeah, I, um, I would love inner peace and well-being. I'd love the ability, but, um, but I don't, I'm not going to you know, take the time to train in that. And, uh, and there's some idea that I should be able to just sit down and, and be like that without having ever actually... Um, develop the skill of being present in our own lives. And right now the research shows that most people are not aware of what they're doing about half the time that they're awake. Their mind is somewhere else. Yeah, even while driving. Yes. You know, spacing out. I mean, that's something that I think pretty much everybody does. 
at one point or another, you know, you're driving into town and it's like, wait a minute, how did I get here? You know, because the mind just dissociates and goes somewhere else. Well, there have been a lot of changes in the mindfulness in recovery program. Can you talk about the success of that program and why you think it is it's growing as much as it is so popular? It's really been a joy to see in my heart. It's been something that, uh, so a person in recovery myself with uh, now, yeah, 37 years, uh, I've got the opportunity to participate in, in different recovery communities. And, um, and what I've seen is that there's a lot of uh, our new generation, which does not connect to some of the older methods, such as 12-step communities and uh, then I find that within different 12-step communities, some of them, you know, you know, are in AA and they don't talk to NA and they're in NA and don't talk to AA. And, and then, you know, and, and what uh, different people are, are kind of, um, you know, closing doors and not opening them. And then now we have a whole treatment world with research and science and the understanding of cognitive behavioral therapy and motivational interview and all these incredible tools. And so... Uh, the inspiration I had one day after leaving a Mind Life conference was, um, can we create a set of skills, a set of skills that will help people use their tools of recovery? Because you might have tools of recovery. It might be 12 steps. It might be your other therapeutic tools that you've been um, you know, cultivating while you're in treatment. You might have some great insights. Uh, but if they don't become a part of your way of living... Uh, then all too often you leave treatment, you leave, uh, and, and then you find yourself back in the same pattern and habit. And then also a lot of people with many decades in 12-step recovery have just kind of, um, you know, fallen away from, from uh, you know, really living life. And uh, so our thought was, can we create uh, a program of training with skills and that's what mindfulness recovery is, a set of skills of living a life that is present, alive, in alignment with your values in a way that's rich and meaningful, that connects to the tools that you use. And so that you can bear them in mind. And, and now the dopamine release can come from actually feeling good about the good you do. And, you know, that's, that's kind of what happens is we get this release through distraction um, and what we can start doing is being present with the goodness that is naturally within us, within the person we want to be, and uh, and be more present in our relationships and, and the gift of today that only comes today. And today started, is the day it will never come again. That's right. And, uh, and what's happened is now we have been training clinicians and therapists around the country. We even now have one in the UK and we've, in Australia and we have a treatment center out in Texas that is a model program. We just had uh, all the research done with over a year um, measuring outcomes and statistically significant, like in their ability, people new in recovery, able to recognize strong feelings and emotions and experience them and step back from them and still make a healthy choice to not be a prisoner of strong emotions. Uh, the ability to have a greater sense of flourishing and well-being in life, uh, the reduction of craving, uh, an overall increase in just wellness and well-being. And it's just coming out now, so we'll be posting that. Uh, and now we're working with adolescents, and so an adolescent program. So we'll have uh, 
trainings for adolescents, family and friends, and people. Wow, that's new. The adolescent program. Are you uh, working in the Valley on any of these programs? The adolescent program that we're working with right now is actually in Texas, in the uh, just north of Dallas, mm-hmm. and it's a female adolescent mm-hmm. treatment center that's brand new. And what's interesting is they chose that their entire treatment modality would have a strong emphasis with mindfulness and recovery, that that would be an integral part of their entire program mm-hmm. and offerings. Mm-hmm. So those girls are coming in and meditating every single morning. Mm-hmm. They are using the Essential Guidebook to Mindfulness and Recovery, the workbook, uh, every day. And they're developing these skills, um, both individually and in group setting on a weekly basis. So um, it's very exciting. It's giving us the opportunity to write a version of that essential guidebook for adolescents. So that'll be coming out, as well as we now have a essential guidebook to mindfulness recovery for people who are family or friends of people oh, in recovery. Sort of an Al-Anon alternative. Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so we have that available directly through us at the moment. It will be out into the publishing world, uh, fully published in July. Wow. So, yeah, very exciting. Yeah, and you have some other things going on uh, next year. We begin the year. Uh, John and I lead a silent meditation retreat in Auburn, California, at the Mercy Retreat Center. We are excited to return there and uh, lead the New Year's retreat, which we've done in the past, but of course last year we needed to do it online. And then, um, you know, we have continuing courses that people can engage with to really learn, you know, and this is general audience, not just uh, in the recovery arena, but our Mindfulness Foundations course, the uh, Four Keys to Living Mindfully. And then we have these communities, the Mindful Life community and the Mindfulness Recovery community with one of the things that happened right at the beginning of uh, the pandemic is we were luckily poised to um, move to a whole new platform for these communities that's so much more interactive, and it has an app and a web version, kind of like you'd experience Facebook those ways. Um, But it's much more, it has the feeling of community. You're connecting with people. You're seeing people share and post. It's a richer experience than the platform that we had previously. Every week we're working on a skill. Every day we're offering guidance and a a recorded audio for every single day. So those are ongoing things. And then another thing that we really um, find beneficial is our year-long training, something called the Mind. So that's the Mindful Learning Year. It starts with an immersion semester, which you can do independent of the the second semester if you'd like. And that's a way to do a deep dive in developing your own mindfulness practice and also delving more deeply into the aspects of mindfulness through uh, monthly assignments, weekly homework, and being part of a tight-knit learning community. And this year, I am one of the instructors, as is our other co-founder, Mark Maloney, in Melbourne, Australia. We have participants this year in the program from the U.S. and Australia, and the second semester gives you an option to continue Uh, either in personal development and focusing on an area of interest or in teacher training to actually become a mindfulness teacher. So it's it's a pretty exciting and in-depth offering, and this is our 
I believe, our ninth year or so, eighth or ninth year wow. of our year-long program. So um, that'll be coming around again for enrollment starting in about March or so. The applications okay. will be out, and mm-hmm. then the program starts in July. Great. So really quite exciting. You're listening to Valley Voices, and my guests today are Laura Bartels and John Bruna. Well, you guys are so calm and cool and collected, and you are so busy creating all of this stuff. I I guess I'm wondering, throughout these years of Way of Compassion Foundation and and being involved in mindful life and mindfulness and recovery, how have you evolved as people through this work? <laughs> yeah, that's a wonderful question. Um, I would have to say that one of the things I noticed back when I was doing sustainability work, outer sustainability work, is um, that much of the time it was a lot of multitasking. You know, I noticed within myself a, a sense of that busyness feeling, uh, feeling rushed. And I think that's exhausting. And I think people listening will will relate to that, that when we operate that way, we are exhausted. And also, we don't always respond in ways we feel good about. We have these sort of habitual responses or um, responses without thinking, so without pausing. And one of the changes I notice is the more my mindfulness practice has developed, my meditation practice, I'm not as exhausted. Um, I know my mom will say, gosh, you do so much. You know, why aren't you just exhausted? I can't believe it. And really, the answer to me is that when you have a steady, uh, balanced approach and you're having this sense that you're fully engaged in what you're doing, not you're not even thinking, I'm busy, but I'm just engaged in what I'm doing right now. It's not as exhausting and you're more present and you can do a lot. Uh, in that mode, rather than the very uh, exhausting mode of multitasking, and yeah, because you're grounded and present and not rushed and really focused and listening to the person that you're talking to, or focused on the task at hand, and not allowing yourself to be distracted. And I can see how that it's like resting in the boat. There was a um, writer's program. Uh, I can't think of the Julia, I can't think of her name right now. Years ago, she, had, she has several books. And um, one of the things that she talked about was resting in the boat. Like the boat is going downstream, right? And um, you may not be able to stop and pull over to the to the shore to rest, but you can rest while it's moving downstream. Mm. And that's sort of what I think about when you're talking about just that focusing is that, you know, while you're doing these tasks, you still have your life, you still have the things that you want to get done, the visions, the dreams that you're working towards, the accomplishments, but you're resting while you're doing that. Um, You know, I see that groundedness and the clarity and the just the calmness of being present. To me, that's restful. Does that make any sense? Yeah. And, you know, the opposite of that would be very a very stressed uh, physical posture, right? We're holding that sense of rushing or uh, the weight of responsibility that we're carrying. So we're, even physically, our bodies can be very uh, exhausted just by that. So 
one of the practices that we learn in uh, a mindfulness of breath meditation is first to learn to relax. It is actually a skill that we can develop with practice. So when we get familiar with that, when we develop the ability to drop into a relaxed state, we're familiar with it, and then we're more aware when we're not in it. So something happens, or we, you know, we, we find out we're, we're late for an appointment. We recognize that our body's starting to hold that tension, and we can drop back into that state of relaxation, even while we're driving to the appointment that we, yes, of course, maybe we know we're now going to be late, but we don't have to get there and be exhausted from the stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... That's one of the skills we develop just in a daily mindfulness practice. And that involves letting go of things like guilt and fear. I mean, we could go on and on about this, but we don't have a lot of time left. This always happens when I talk to you guys. (laughs) Um, I think that's marvelous. It's restful just talking about it. How, John Bruna, have you, do you feel like you've evolved just from starting the work here in the Roaring Fork Valley and watching it blossom? Well, it's just been a a joy to see things grow, and they grow at their own pace. You know, what was clear to me, uh, I remember being in Omaha, Nebraska. I was still a Buddhist monk. And... um, and it and just it became clear in in uh, in my mind in meditation that the next phase of my journey was to try to be helpful um, outside of monastic robes. That uh, I didn't know uh, exactly the journey at that point, uh, but moving here, uh, I was no longer a monk. And but the question is is how can I be helpful? You know, what is beneficial? And uh, so I took up sort of the message of the Dalai Lama is what is it from um, these wisdom traditions that we can use for everyday human beings to reduce stress, worry, and fear in their life? How can they live in ways that uh, promote well-being, loving kindness, and compassion? And uh, it was in meeting one of our teachers of our tradition who, you know, basically let me know that... uh, you know, you, uh, that I, you know, my current job <laughs> in this life is, uh, you know, I have a, I've been fortunate to have the ability to translate these teachings in a way they are just really practical and human. And because of my background of having been homeless and having, um, you know, been a corporate manager and having been an auto mechanic and, you know, I've lived, I've been a school teacher that uh, my background has lent itself to having experienced all these different levels of um, social and economic environments that um, I'm able to speak from a personal practice of how these uh, common problems, whether you're a millionaire or whether you are a single working mom raising a few kids, uh, what are the sort of mental uh, afflictions that really prevent us from engaging in our lives in ways that are meaningful. And so the evolution for me has been um, really taking these wisdom traditions, when they go back to Plato and so forth, to uh, ancient wisdom traditions, to just you and I, and how do we live our lives and what's preventing us from being the human being we want to be today. And the inner peace and recognizing our goodness and the final piece on that is what I've noticed is our biggest issue, I think, as most people I've, I've worked with, is self-compassion. People 
uh, are, no have a very critical voice of themselves and we're comparing who we are and how we feel with how we think we should be and should feel. Mm-hmm. And we have this critical voice that says, I could have done better or I'm not good enough or whatever, and totally miss the incredible uh, accomplishments of goodness and kindness and well-being that you've had and you've been successful at every, every challenge that's come to your life. It's so forgiving. Yeah. It is so forgiving. We are just about out of time, unfortunately. Can we talk just briefly about some of the changes happening with the Way of Compassion Foundation and the Bike Project? Um, we can talk briefly about that. I only know a little because uh, basically the Way of Compassion Foundation, which the uh, Way of Compassion Bike Project was a part of. So Aaron started the bike project many years ago, many years ago on his own, just, you know, doing work for free. And and, um, and then his passion came to life and ultimately became part of the Way of Compassion. Well, he has now uh, transitioned that, and the people at the Third Street Center are creating their own organization to now maintain the bike project. Uh, Aaron has put in so many years of being a benefit, and he's still volunteering his time, but the idea now is to help them develop their own uh, organization to continue the mission of the bike project as Aaron prepares uh, in the next year to eventually take off and uh, go do some long-term retreat. Last but not least is the Compassion Film Fest, which is now in its fourth year. Now it's online. You do quarterly events. It seems to me that there are some silver linings uh, to the pandemic. It seems that it's really sort of boosted the audience for Compassion Film Fest. And, um, you know, first thing with the Compassion Film Festival, Aaron is the the person who gets all the recognition. He has really cultivated that, run the program, shifted to the online format, uh, brought in amazing filmmakers, had great, uh, you know, online discussions and uh, quarterly projects. Last words for us? Just a joy to be with you and I really want to wish everyone a healthy and safe holiday season. And let's see if we can, instead of cultivating desire, maybe we can cultivate contentment. Thank you all. Laura Bartels, John Bruna, thanks very much.